And we men don't tend to have those relationships today. We don't have an immediate band of brothers around us, and we don't have father figures, even if they're not biological fathers for the most part. So that's part of what we've got to do. But bottom line is, like I say, it's fixable because look at you. You've already made a turn from that earlier season in your life that you say wasn't that successful. And I'm sure you're a great husband if you're married today or will be. So that's 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 the key is that we don't have to, you know, I don't want to learn about heat putting my hand on a hot stove. I want somebody to tell me that it's hot. And they go, <laughs> okay, awesome. I will not do that. So the problem is we don't have anybody around us telling us those things. And we need it as men. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an amazing, fabulous guest lined up for you today. He is the best-selling author of many, many books, including The Faith of George W. Bush, The Faith of Barack Obama, and my personal favorite, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, An Utterly Invigorating Guide to Your Most Masculine Self. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Stephen Mansfield. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome. Great to be here, and thank you for that amazing introduction. I haven't been introduced as legendary in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's one of the things we're known for in this show, just making awesome introductions to awesome guests. Thank you. Stephen, our listener is either an actual or an aspiring thought leader. Main reason they listen to the show is they're really interested and curious in learning from some of the incredible guests like you that we've had on this show. They want to know about your thought leadership and specifically how you've developed your, you know, you're thinking in a rigorous fashion, but they also want to know what is it that's allowed you to build up your presence, your business, if you will, and, and give your gift the way that you're giving it to the world. They want to know your backstory. So tell us your story, Stephen. How'd you come to be the great Stephen Mansfield? Oh, very kind, very kind. Well, I'll tell you what, I had an unusual upbringing as a child. I was the son of a U.S. Army officer living mainly in Germany gave me kind of an outsider's perspective on culture and history. My parents were readers and made sure we traveled around and you know went to museums and really pondered the cultures we were living in. But I came back to the States around time for college, you know, had the normal college experience, but I, but I be, became enamored of history and just read, majored in history and theology. And uh, again, all of that helped me to look at our society, to, to look at cultures, to look at the way people conduct themselves and the prevailing thinking, a little bit as an outsider, a little bit as a visitor, being aware of what I was growing up in, being aware of what was around me rather than just taking it as being the only truth, the only way that things could be. So as I progressed through my life, I had various various roles of leadership, but always I was thinking again about society. I was thinking about what worked, what didn't. And uh, then I began to develop an ability both to speak and to write. They're probably my main two gifts. I don't have many, but those are two of them. And so as I spoke, as I wrote, I began to realize that I could make a difference with words, that I could make a difference by 
writing books, by speaking, uh, by trying to address some of these troubles that I saw in our society that were largely cultural. And uh, there are there are a number that I've been involved in uh, advocating for the Kurds, uh, advocating for the for the fact that religion, especially in an American context, does shape our politics. Even if you're not religious yourself, you have to recognize it does shape our politics. And so I I wrote so I'm so the so the media says some of the groundbreaking books on that subject. But the but the cause that really fascinates me and I'm passionate about now, uh, in addition to the others, is the cause of men. I think in the Western world, men are in crisis and a downward spiral. And so I'm addressing that. But basically, uh, what I do is I write, I speak, and I use that cultural analysis that just sort of came almost naturally as I lived abroad, lived with intellectual parents, and, and thought about cultures and, and how they were shaped. And so now I'm trying to, trying to reshape some cultures that aren't necessarily productive for us. Wow. Powerfully said. You know, I share your concern with, uh, with men in uh, Western society. I think that uh, men today are in crisis. I think men are lost, especially younger men. A lot of things have changed over the last 50 years when it comes to the relationship between men and women. And uh, I, I think the impulses behind those changes were noble ones. They wanted to give women opportunities that they didn't have. And frankly, those were, were important things and important considerations. But along the way, I think the baby got thrown out with the bathwater a little bit. And uh, what happened was, instead of just focusing on uplifting women, in many cases, the very concept of being a man, of being a masculine man, and, and the great virtues that uh, encompasses has been degraded, has been uh, looked down upon. And I think that so many men today aren't even sure how to behave. And when you see people like Jordan Peterson, you know, who's uh, a professor at my own alma mater, the University of Toronto, and lives in Toronto where I live, speak about these subjects and, and have them resonate. Because let's face it, love Jordan Peterson, but he's a bit of an egghead. He's no one's idea of a, of a cultural hero, but he's become one. It's because for so many men, this strikes, this strikes them as a real crisis. This strikes them as something they're seeking real answers to. So I'm very glad to have you on the show because I want to delve into that a little bit if we can today. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I got to say that I, I think a lot of what's happened, uh, not to blame men necessarily, is that we had to we had to balance the scales a bit. We had to give women uh, opportunities and rights and open doors and and chances to break the glass ceilings that we all know had to happen in fair and democratic societies. Absolutely. But what ha what happened was that men saw that and sort of retreated in a, a bit. Uh, and a little bit of insecurity. I mean, what we're not doing is all competing for a limited amount of pie, if I may use that illustration. It's not like there's one pie and we're all fighting over a percentage of it between men and women. No, the, the pie is ever expanding. They're, they're, I, I don't perceive it as a tug of war between men and women. You know, I have a daughter, I have a wife who's a very good leader, very gifted woman, uh, runs companies and very successful in, in the music industry in Nashville. And, uh, you know, I want them both to achieve. I want my daughter to be the president, the pope, the CEO, and the greatest rock star in the world. I want her to achieve all of that stuff. And none of it diminishes me as a man or diminishes, by the way, her older brother, my son. So there, we're not in a tug of war. Whatever women are achieving, we should be celebrating. Um, Absolutely. And, but, but, but men are in downward spiral uh, by every measurable statistic for other reasons. And those have to do with believing some of the prevailing stuff that's being spouted on the college campuses about masculinity, but also men are walking alone. Men have lost the skill of, 
of building a band of brothers, of building significant friendships around them, a few other skills. And so we've got to restore those. And of course, we all know a lot of this has to do with busted up families and uh, boys being raised without fathers. We don't have to get into all that cultural analysis. But the fact is that, that, that men need to turn around, celebrate the achievements of women and start, start rising again. And I think that's eminently possible. It is eminently possible. Uh, several years ago, I did a, a, a program uh, called the Sterling Men's Weekend. It's uh, put on by um, a fellow named uh, Justin Sterling. And it, it was an eye-opener for me. It let me see how I really wasn't living up to uh, the masculine ideal, if you will. I thought I was a masculine man, but I really wasn't. In many ways, I do things like argue with my then wife about silly things. You know, she'd tell me things like, hey, I need you to take out the garbage. And I, I, I'd get into an argument with her about it instead of saying, you know what, dear? Absolutely. I'll take care of it right away, which is what I should have done because that was important to her. And really, my job as her husband was to cooperate with her in uh, making sure that our relationship was successful and that our family won. And I didn't get that. And, and so many men don't get that today because, as you say, many are raised without fathers. And even those that are raised with fathers, their fathers don't necessarily know what their fathers knew, which was how to be in a relationship, how to treat a woman properly, how, what the role of a man is. And I don't just mean as you know a, a provider necessarily, although I think that's important for a man to at least step into that role for himself, even if his wife is, a, is an equal co-provider. But how to be the kind of man that his wife would respect, admire, and want to be around. And for so many men today, they don't even think that way. No, you're exactly right. And I'm certainly not criticizing you at that stage in your life, but normally— I was um, worthy it, of criticism, Stephen. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I only know you, the you of today, and I'm thrilled. Uh, but what I'm saying is insecure men perceive the relationship with a wife as a tug of war. And so uh, as a result, and to use your illustration, if a wife says, would you please take out the trash, what we'll, what we'll do if we're insecure is that we will see that as some kind of diminishment. We will see that as some kind of put down. We will hear that as get off your lazy butt and uh, stop watching the, 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 the football game and, and, and get out there and do something. Well, that's not what she said. She just said, hey, would you mind taking out the trash? So we, I, the more we function out of insecurity, the less we understand that part of being a husband is serving, uh, the less we are mentored by men who have been there. You know, I, I want to I hear from men who are into 40-year marriages, 50-year marriages. Yep. Tell me how it works. Tell me, show me the path. And we, and we men don't tend to have those relationships today. We don't have an immediate band of brothers around us, and we don't have father figures, even if they're not biological fathers for the most part. So that's part of what we've got to do. But bottom line is, like I say, it's fixable because look at you. You've already made a turn from that earlier season in your life that you say wasn't that successful. And I'm sure you're a great husband if you're married today or will be. So that's 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 the key is that we don't have to, you know, I don't want to learn about heat, putting my hand on a hot stove. I want somebody to tell me that it's hot. And they go, <laughs> okay, awesome. I will not do that. So the problem is we don't have anybody around us telling us those things. And we need it as men. You know, you're absolutely right. I'm not married right now, uh, although uh, I'm hoping to begin real soon. I've got a wonderful lady in my life. Uh, wonderful. I have, a, I have a great relationship with my ex-wife. In fact, um, you know, over spring break, uh, we both took the kids on vacation together, you know, which, oh, which is, which is a, a far cry from where we were. But I want to just expand on this point. You, you know, I see so many, so many men today that will argue with their wife about taking out the trash and things like that. But then when the wife tests them by seeing if, you know, 
they're really going to stick to their guns with what defines them as a man. They fail that test. So I'll give you an example. So many guys will fight with their wife about taking out the trash or, you know, whatever other chores need to be done around the house. But then when their wife comes to them and says, you know what, you know your best friend, Billy, that you've known since you're two, I don't like Billy. I don't want you to be friends with him anymore. I don't want you playing poker with him uh, on Tuesdays anymore. They'll just meekly submit where the correct answer, the answer the wife wants to hear, even though she won't tell you that, is, honey, I love you. You're the greatest thing that ever happened to me. But Billy is my best friend. I've known him since I was two. Billy and I are going to continue to be friends. This conversation's over. Don't bring it up again. You know, and that's the kind of thing that a wife respects because that'll show her that you're a man who understands loyalty. You know, and I see so many men fail that test. Yeah, there's just no question. Weak men make bitter wives. There's no question about that. And what, 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 what woman really wants to know, if she says you can't play poker with Billy on Tuesday night, there, there, there's some influence she's worried about. There's something, you know, Billy's had 16 affairs and she's worried that you're going to get influenced in that direction. Or Billy's a raging alcoholic and she's worried you're going to get drunk and come home and beat the kids. What she wants to hear is, you know, honey, I appreciate what you're saying. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to continue to play poker with Billy, but I'll tell you what, I'll manage that relationship in such a way that it doesn't become any kind of problem for you or our family. And trust me, he's not influencing me. I know he's an idiot, uh, but I love him. I've known him since, two, since I was two. I'll make sure that, that we're not affected by him in any negative sense. And, and, and the fact that you're taking responsibility for it, the fact that you're owning that situation, so to speak, and doing it for the good of your family and out of the love of your wife and your children, that's, that's what she wants to hear. So I'm not saying let's manipulate the little woman. I'm just saying that, that she's really not saying, I, I forbid you to talk to Billy. <laughs> what she's saying is, it's not made right. She might have some wisdom for you. What she needs you to do is to own that situation man, and man up and, and handle it uh, in light of some wisdom she's got for you. And I, and I think that that's, that's something that most men are yep. capable of doing. But if the initial response is, oh, man, you're telling me what to do again, like a little child, well, then we're going to be idiots. And, and, and that's how marriages get ripped up, as you, as you and I both know. No, 100%. You know, that's a good point. The way you said it's really powerful. But sometimes it, it can also just be a test. You know, and God knows my, my wonderful lady tests me all day long every day. <laughs> you know, I like to think I pass most of them, but sometimes I know screw them up. So let's talk about this concept of abandoned brothers, because I love that phrase. I mean, that, that comes from Shakespeare. And the whole concept is that you have a group of men in your life that you can talk to about anything, that if you get in trouble, if you need someone to bail you out of a Mexican jail at 3 a.m., these are the men that you can call and you know they're going to be there. So why don't you talk some more about that and expand upon it and why it's so important for men to embrace that? Yeah, I appreciate you validating it because I think it's just absolutely essential. You know, the fact is that centuries ago, our ancestors, for the most part, had a tribe of men, a band of men around them almost automatically. Families tended to be bigger, at least in the Western world. You had the village, you had the tribe. You, ha you had to have men to survive. You know, even if you, your family ran its own farm, you had to have the guy who made, knew how to make the barrels or the shoes or the shopkeeper or the blacksmith. And so you had a group of men around you just to survive. And those, that became your, the men who talked to you, who modeled manhood for you, who maybe taught you how to shoot if you didn't have a father in the home. You know what I'm talking about. All, all the skills that we needed and relationships came out of that. Well, all the statistics show that modern men are just the opposite. Friendships are pretty easy for us. 
uh, when we're growing up, you know, we're in school, we're in college, we're in the army, whatever it is in our early years, relationships are there, they're in the dormitory, they're in the barracks, they're in the neighborhood, we, 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 we make friends fairly easily. Once most men get married, once most men get into their profession, once they start having children and house responsibilities, they start to get isolated. So at least in the United States, the average man cannot name a best friend. The average man cannot name, to use your illustration, uh, who he would call to uh, get his son out of jail at three in the morning uh, if he's picked up by the police and the father's out of town on a business trip. The one I like is who would you call if your wife suddenly had a horrible problem in the house, the dog's dead or the plumbing's broken or somebody's trying to break in. She's flitting around the house in her nighty. Who do you trust to go over there? Who, who's close enough to you and cares enough about you to go over there at three in the morning and solve that situation responsibly and ethically? Most men have nobody in their life like that. So if they don't even have that level of help and that level of relationship, then how do they have men who are helping them be better men? To quick illustration, I saw a picture of myself not too long ago. Somebody took it at a party. I, I, when they handed me the picture, I said, who is that? The guy said, it's you, fool. I, it was the ugliest picture of a human being ever taken in the history of the world. My T-shirt was uh, you know, just accidentally stretched over my stomach. I had my eye. I was at half, half of a blink, you know, so I looked like I was drunk, even though I hadn't had any alcohol at all. I think I had about 16 Oreos in my mouth, so I looked like I would weigh 500 pounds. I just looked like Jabba the Hutt on a bad day. And I got to thinking, if, if I can look that way physically without knowing it, what's, what might be going on on the inside of me that I don't know? What, what can men around me see in 3D view that, I, that I'm not able to see about me? You see, I, I want men who are walking closely enough with me and me walking closely enough with them that if one of us takes the fifth, you know, second or third look at the backside of the waitress, you know, one of the guys says, hey, what, what, what's up, man? What's going on at home that you're ogling this, this waitress you don't even know? Everything okay? I want guys close enough to me to, close enough to, me to hear the bitter cell phone call uh, with my wife and go, what's, what's happening at home? You know, glass of wine or two, fine. A bottle of wine, two bottles of wine. What's going on that you're trying to round this stuff or whatever's going on with you in liquor? I want, I want men close enough to see what's going on with me. Hey, you put on some weight. You're doing okay? What's going on? I need help being pursuing noble manhood. So I want a band of brothers around me, men that I enjoy. We have a lot of fun. We're committed to each other. We challenge each other. We confront each other. We, we inspire each other on to noble manhood. And again, most men don't have that. But manhood is not something we can do alone. Manhood, noble manhood, righteous manhood, great manhood is not something we can do alone. We need other men to, to draw it out and to accomplish it. So uh, the loneliness of the average man is not only leading to depression and suicide in the Western world, but it's also leading to a weak or non-existent masculinity. And that's, that's a lot of the toxicity that's going on in our culture. That's the real toxic masculinity. Yes, Exactly. You know, not, exactly. What, not, not what's being talked about on campuses. You know, I, I, I've been part of a men's group since 2011. I, I took a break from it uh, starting in February. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking to get back into it. There have been times where these men have literally saved my life. In, in early 2011 uh, was in, in, in some of the darkest times for me in terms of uh, the breakup of my marriage. And without having had this group of men around me, I don't think I would have made it. Um, in 2015, uh, I'm originally from Iran. I'm a Christian from Iran. My father had suffered a couple of strokes in Iran. My brother brought him back from Iran to Canada. And we needed to take him to a hospital, not just the nearest hospital, but a, a good hospital. And, and uh, you know, an ambulance would have just taken him to the nearest hospital. I called two of the men in my, in my men's team. And, you know, one of them was on a date 
with uh, his better half. And she sat in the back of his truck. And they came over with me to the airport. They picked up my father. They put him in the truck. And we took him to the hospital of our choice. This was in the middle of this man's date that he did this. How many men have a group of men that would do something like this for them? Not yeah. many. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If, if you don't have men, you can call upon for help. But not only that, you know, I, I've got men in my life who actually call my wife and say, everything going great, good, good with you guys? Stephen, Stephen, Stephen doing okay? Is he treating you right? I mean, I mean, some of them are pastors. Some of them are, are just buddies that she knows I trust. I've told her, they're, you know, they're, if I flip out, there's a, here are the men to call. Uh, I've told the guys, you want to check in with them on stuff? That's great. Go ahead. I'm, I'm not the perfect man. I'm just saying that those kind of structures, that kind of safety, the fact that men have your back, care for you. The main point that I'm making in this, especially in this little book that I've written, Building Your Band of Brothers, is that we have to be intentional about that today. It happened automatically. You know, if you're Iranian, then you know that men bond together much better in the Middle East than they do in the Western world. Big time, buddy. Um, <laughs> I know. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East. I work with the Kurds. I'm, I'm in Iraq a lot. And I, and I, and I really admire uh, Arab and Persian culture from that perspective. And, uh, and I have to say that, that, that in the Western world, we're very isolated. Well, we, so, so a man's got to be intentional. In other words, it's not going to happen naturally. Uh, you have to be intentional about building a band of brothers. And if you don't, then you're likely to be a statistic. You know, as you may know right now, if you're over 50 in England and you don't die of a heart attack, you probably have died of suicide. And when they do the psychological postmortem on the suicide, it's loneliness. It's men walking alone. Men will write notes like, I don't, there's not another man on this planet who cares about me. And then he kills himself. Well, that's, I'm not condemning those men. I'm saying that's, that's ridiculous that we've let manhood descend to that level and we haven't passed these skills on from generation to generation so that men know how to build a band of brothers and achieve what I call uh, the free fire zone where they can say anything to each other that makes each other better. Uh, we've just got to have it. We do have to have it in a big way. And I'm really glad you're talking about this. That someone of your stature and with your reach yeah, into the world is speaking about this very important topic. Now, one of the other things that you mentioned in your book that uh, I'm a big believer in myself is the whole concept of challenging men. One of the reasons that, uh, you know, masculinity is, is in such a state of crisis is that men aren't being challenged. The essence of a man, in my opinion, is just a few things. One of them is his honor, his word. If a man understands that, that he is as good as his word, and he strives mightily to keep his word, that man is going to progress forward in life powerfully. He's going to have a, a better life than most men today do. And secondly, man's got to be challenged. He's got to challenge himself. He's got to have men in his life who challenge him. You know, if a man gets up every day and he challenges himself to be the best version of himself by going to have a hard workout, by getting up and reading something that uh, forces him to grow, and by being around other men, and frankly, by having a wonderful woman in his life as his life partner, who challenge him, who ask him to be the best, most masculine version of himself, that man is truly blessed. And unfortunately, that's another thing that is really missing today in society. Can you comment on that? Yeah, you know, I, I believe that that the best in us rises when we are challenged. 
but but our our cushy Western world makes us uh, kind of hide from challenge. So I want my wife to challenge me. I want my my buddies to challenge me. Not not to pick on me, not to demean me, but to help me be better. And so I, I'm completely convinced, first of all, that every man needs to be pursuing the breaking of barriers. Uh, and, and what I mean is, you know, again, when we have a challenge, when we have, I mean, if we want to say it this way, let's say it this way, have a fight. Uh, I, I'm battling to, to, to lose weight and get in good shape because I have a specific goal I'm shooting for uh, mm-hmm. in about a year. So I, you know, right now I'm very, very busy. The most I can do is get to the gym and cycle. So I, I broke a personal record the other day uh, cycling for an hour hmm. uh, in a stationary bike. Okay, that's the best I can do right now. I can't hang off K2, but I can I can break the record, uh, my own personal record. At least I'm breaking a barrier. A 90-year-old man who walks the mall every day can walk it a little bit faster next week and can set a new time, can, can set up a, 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 a fun competition with a buddy, you know? Uh, and, and, and go further. You can do more with the resistance bands. You can lift a little bit more weight. My point is that men, the best in men rises to that. But then you need other kind of challenges too. And I tell the guys around me, man, tell me where I need to improve. Tell me where I need to break through. Tell me where I need to go to another level. And so what we got to stop doing is being stop being little boys who don't want to have uh, correction. I, 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 need, I want correction. I want input. I'm not saying I always respond to it like the happiest guy in the world. But I can't see what I need to fix on my own. So obviously, if I'm going to improve, I'm going to have to have guys who challenge me. So I've got big goals physically and intellectually and achievement and finances and all that. And I've got smaller goals uh, that are just weeks and months. But but men need to be challenged, not just so that they improve in general. Hey, get off the couch and get to work. But but also because something in us arises and and, and strives to meet that challenge. If I say I'm going to walk 50 miles in a day in a year – Man, it changes a little bit how I eat, changes how I train, changes what I read. Uh, a lot of other things in my life begin to align and get healthy. And that I think every man needs that dynamic, whatever his sport, whatever his challenge needs to be. 100% agree. You know, I, I say that inside every man is a badass, is a warrior, you know, and that only comes out if he challenges himself and he's in environments where he's, he's challenged. His band of brothers is important. Uh, it's important that he be in a relationship with an amazing, powerful woman. And it, it's important that he put himself in environments that cause him to be challenged. So, Stephen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, a higher order challenge on the physical side. I have a good friend of mine who's an Olympic gold medalist. Back in 92, he, um, he won an Olympic gold medal in the 110-meter hurdles. He lives here in Toronto. His name's Mark McCoy. And um, I've been uh, doing some uh, track workouts with him. In 2020, there's a World Masters Games in Toronto around athletics, around running uh, and, and, and other track events. And so I've decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to participate in that. I'm, I'm going to participate in the 100 meters. Thankfully, not in my friend's age group. He's older than me, but he's way faster than I am. But um, if you really want to get into shape, my man, go take a look at the Masters Games Commit to it. It'll only take about 45 minutes to an hour a day of training, but boy, it'll focus all your efforts and it'll help you hit your weight goals uh, almost by default. No, I love you mentioning that. I will look that up. Now, my thing probably would be more the the field events than track, but I used to put the shot, the discus and all that, and I'd, I'd love to be there at least, but yeah, love to train for you that. Let me look that up. You should check into that. It's powerful. Let me look that up. And get a couple of other friends who'd be into that as well and enter the games. Uh, I'll tell you, it's going to be a, a load of fun. It's... Uh, 
every day you're 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 going to get up with a purpose and go. You know what? I I'm gonna I'm looking to win or whatever your goal is. I, I want to win my age group. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that because <laughs> I'm going to <laughs> alert the competition. But uh, uh, you know that's what I'm looking to do, and it's uh, it's really uh, having me. Uh, be at the track at least four or five days a week and and get what I need uh, done to move myself. And it's a fabulous challenge to run with an Olympic gold medalist. You know, he's so much oh, faster man. than I am. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But, I'm proud of you for doing that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And and my lady's doing it with me, and she's going to run the 400 meters. She already has three world records in running on a treadmill for 12 hours, so she's going for shorter distances now. So God bless her. It's a really fun thing to do together. You guys are like super couple, man. That's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Stephen, I think challenge is important. I think honor is important. I think keeping one's word is important. And these are things that I pontificate about all the time inside my men's groups, inside private conversations with men. Uh, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and comments on, you know, in, inside your your book, you mentioned there were there were four things that uh, men needed to have implemented in their life to live you know, uh, that uh, most masculine version of themselves. Would you mind just outlining him for us? No, not at all. I was looking some years ago when when I began to really understand the crisis of Western manhood, I was looking for an on-ramp for men who really hadn't been taught anything about about righteous manhood, noble manhood. Well, how could I get them moving in the right direction? What were the the simple ways, the, the maxims that I could teach them that would get them moving. It's not everything you need to know about manhood, but it, it was the, the, I called them the four manly maxims because they were a way to get guys heading in the right direction. And the first one is, and we were having fun with the language, but manly men do manly things. I, I have a little concern that when we get men in a room and start talking to them about being men, a lot of what's talked about is emotions management. We want you to feel differently about your wife. We want you to feel differently about your children. Uh, we want you to feel differently about forgiving your father, that kind of thing. And and while I, I certainly don't want men to be troglodytes who can't feel anything, I think approaching men on the basis of emotion first often is not the way to go. Men are doers. Um, mm. you, know how, you know how it is to pick up a hammer or to pick up your racket or whatever it is you use on a regular basis. Just putting it in your hand changes your body, changes the way you feel at that moment, changes what you're set up for. Men are doers. Um, and so too much talk, too many words, too much chit-chat. You want to bore a couple of men, circle them up in a room in a bunch of chairs, have them look at each other and go, how are you feeling today, Tom? Oh, you yeah, know, that's, that's going to go I'm, over real well. Oh, no, it's not going to go over. So, so I, I, I want, I'm not trying to create new legalisms. I'm not trying to just make men do and not talk. But I think the doing is the issue. And that leads into number two, which is uh, manly men tend their field. I'm a Christian. I take this language from the Apostle Paul, who said uh, at one phase in his life, he said, I will not boast beyond the field assigned to me. That technically in the Greek, I think, I think the, the, one of the Bible translations says sphere, uh, but the actual Greek is field. And I think that for any, any stage of a man's life or every stage of a man's life, he has a field assigned to him. Uh, it's the total body of obligations and responsibilities he has, but it's also other things that aren't necessarily forced upon him that he chooses and that are that are part of what he wants and needs to do. So, you know, the 16-year-old, uh, you know, has his textbooks and his classes and maybe his job at the pizza place and respecting his parents and mowing the yard. Those are his duties. But he also wants to learn how to ha- handle the women correctly and, and, and treat them well and learn how to date. And, and he also wants to increase his skill, who knows in what fields, you know, and um, and, and he's learning about his own body and and uh, things like that. And so he, there's a field assigned to him. The guy who's 25 has a different field. 
it's the total body of responsibilities. Maybe at 25, he's just married, but he doesn't have kids yet, but he's learning how to relate honorably to the in-laws and, and, and maybe he's put on a little weight like, like new marrieds often do. So he's learning to treat his body better and, and he's got to learn about investments. So he's got some guys mentoring him in that area and he's making sure that he's loving his wife well and tending the house and all of that. I mean, I mean, tend your field, stand guard over it. Your man's responsibility is to make sure that everything within his field fulfills its purpose purpose and flourishes. Mm-hmm. So my wife, my children, my home, my, you know, uh, everything that is that is under my purview. And, and in one season of my life, you know, maybe I'm emphasizing more of the kids in the neighborhood. Next season of my life, maybe it maybe have more of my political involvements. I mean, they seasons tend to change. When I do retreats with men, I get them to sit down and think through what, how do you define a season of your life? And and uh, what, what's in that field during that season? And by the way, by, by seasons, I don't mean adolescence and middle age and all that. I'm talking about the seasons defined by, by, by the commitments that you've made and the things you're obligated for. Yeah, John then, Eldridge then, talks about that in his book, Wild at Heart. Yes, yes, one of my favorite books. John's a good man. The third is manly men build manly men. I believe a man cannot achieve righteous and noble manhood alone. Uh, manhood is drawn out and confirmed by other men. And so I talk a great deal about that. We've already discussed it. I think you have to have a band of brothers. You have to have a group of men around you with whom you have achieved a free fire zone where anything that can be said, anything that needs to be said to make a man better will be said that men will be coached to be better. And of course, a lot of fun and, uh, you know, animals sacrificing their lives uh, for food along the way. A lot of, lot of good time. And then finally, the, fo- the fourth one for me that I think is very important is uh, manly men live for the glory of God. I, again, I'm a Christian and I believe that God created manhood. I don't think it's anything that, you know, he, he doesn't care about. I think it's unfortunate that some churches have become the most feminine places on earth. Uh, and feminine for me is not a bad word. It's just not going to engage men. And so, you know, we all know the old jokes that there aren't two sexes, there are three men, women, and preachers, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, 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 could, I can joke about that because I, I used to be a pastor. But my, my point is, I, I think that, that I can't become the man I'm meant to be without God's help. He made me. He designed masculinity. Uh, he defines it in Scripture. Uh, I'm grateful for that, and, and I need his help. I, I want his wisdom. I want his healing. I need to get over some wounds to be a great man. I need to love my wife beyond my natural ability. I need to have grace and, and, and abilities I don't have. I need to have sensitivities I don't have naturally. So I think manly men live with the glory of God. And, and let me just say quickly, I don't want to rant on here, but, but I, I take a different approach than most men's teachers or, or certainly uh, teachers in the church. And I'm, I'm not in any way anti-church. Uh, I, I love the church, but, but, I, but I take a different approach in that I don't, want, I don't challenge men to be good men for the sake of their wives and their children. I challenge them to be good and great men because that's what they're made to be by the living God. And I want them to arise and become their best selves and become what they're made to be and get healed and get whole and be noble, powerful men. Then they are able to be what they are meant to be and to be awesome for their wife and their children. So I, I'm concerned that it builds a little resentment sometimes in men. Hey, you guys need to behave yourselves so that you're good for your wives. And now we get back into that, that tug of war that goes on between men and women. I want you to be an awesome man for the glory of God because of what you're made. I want you to be thriving and all pistons firing. And believe me, your wife, your children, they'll, they'll be possibly affected by that. They'll be inspired by that. And, uh, and everything you want to see in those relationships will come about. I love your four uh, maxims. They're, they're incredible, and I think they're, they're very much on point. So, Stephen, let's switch gears for a moment. 
I want to talk about thought leadership for a second. So we have identified five pillars of thought leadership. And I want to go through them with you and get your comments. And, and I want you to comment about it from the point of view of how you've implemented this inside your own thought leadership, and also in terms of you giving some advice to our listener on how they can implement this for themselves. Okay, so the first is, to be a thought leader, you need to have some world-class intellectual property. To me, that just makes sense. What are your comments on that? Yeah, I think you have to create something that actually is impacting the world. And that can be done a wide variety of ways. Some guys are better on video. Some guys are better in podcasts. Some guys are better on the page. For some, it's a combination of all of that. But absolutely, if you're going to be a thought leader, uh, you have to have obviously your arena of thought. But the packaging is really important. And I think a lot of people probably are cowed by the fact that they, okay, I'm not a great writer. Hey, I'm not that handsome and don't, don't speak that well. But there's always some other way to get your message out. And some of the greatest thought leaders of our generation are people who aren't, frankly, that engaging personally, but they've, they've found the language, so to speak, of cultural impact. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Fabulous, fabulous. And you know what? It, it, I also believe that anyone who's gone through life has had some very powerful experiences that have shaped them. And if they take the time to think about these experiences in a structured way, which is one of the things you know we do inside of our programs for people, these experiences can be turned into powerful intellectual property that then they can then turn into a message that a particular audience is gonna want and need to consume. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, I, especially given what I believe about God, not to put that too much forefront, but what I believe about God is that I go through things, not just for myself, but for the sake of others. And so when I, I've gone through a, through a divorce like you have, uh, I've gone through hard times. We all fight some, through some depression. We all fight through self-doubt. I've had experiences with in poverty situations and with the rich, the famous, the powerful. That's not all just for me. So as I sort of mine the lessons, you know, just sort of mine, mine the valleys, mine the, high, the, the mountaintops and draw the treasures out of those experiences, that becomes the intellectual capital, the riches that I then have to offer others at, at given moments. So how do, I, what, how do I know what it's like to walk without a band of brothers? Because I stupidly did it. How, how is it that I can celebrate having a band of brothers? Because I've done it and I pay attention to it and I watch it and I, and I make notes and I, I, I note the things that I went through and then I have something to offer you know, the, the guys who are, who are coming to it new. And that, that to me is, is, the, is the power of it, is that you recognize that you're not, if you're going to be a leader, what you go through is not just for you. It's meant to be mined for others. Well said, very well said. So the second pillar of thought leadership, um, my God, for a second, I just drew a blank there. Okay, you know what, I'll... Um, I'll go to the third pillar. I'll come back to this to the second pillar in a moment. So the third pillar is clarity. It, it, it's it's important for you to be clear in your thinking, to have a clear message, and to be clear about who your intended audience is. What are your comments on that, and how have you implemented that in your work? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the clarity that you need, first of all, is to quiet your soul and and be able to think, meditate, read, ponder, take notes, digest, distill without distraction. But also, uh, you have to have the courage to take what you are thinking, to take what you want to communicate, and test it. Test it against people. Have people give you feedback. Mm. You know, most of us don't like listening to audio recordings of ourselves, for example. But we have to. We don't like watching ourselves on video, but we have to. We don't like taking what we write and giving it out to people and saying, be honest with me, tell me what you have to say. 
But we have to. We have to get feedback. And those have been some of the most painful experiences of my professional life. But it's what helped me get better. I mean, you know, I married my, my wife and she said, you know, you spend the whole time on stage looking to the right, uh, but not looking to your left. What's up with that? I had no idea that I did it. She said, you, God you bless walk, you'll, you'll walk to the left of the stage when you're speaking and you'll look to the right. You'll walk to the right. You're still looking to the right. What's going on? And so it was great. I love that kind of feedback. I had no idea. Well, of course, I'm, that means I'm leaving half the room feeling unengaged. Well, so you need that kind of feedback and it might be painful, but you just absolutely have to do it. So I think a lot for me anyway has been, I'm not complimenting myself, but, but finding somewhere the courage to test what I was thinking, get feedback, give give speech tapes to people, watch myself, listen to myself. You know, I do a podcast too. I listen to every single broadcast. Sometimes I just go, oh Lord, I don't even like this guy. Uh, <laughs> but you know, but but you get better, you improve, your skills get sharper. And that's, that's just the price of it. Uh, absolutely. So I remember the second pillar now. The second pillar is about pursuing a strategy of preeminence. And by this, I mean that you've got to seek to be the best or at least one of the best in your field. Go big or go home, essentially, right? Because you need to stand out for you to be a thought leader. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think a lot of that, for me anyway, has been a, a way of finding a voice, find, finding the way to express things that are different. For example, uh, if you've read my book, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, a lot of that came out of the fact that most men's books bored me. Most men's books felt like they were, you know, slapping my hand for touching myself or they were, you know, or you're, 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 a, you're a man and you should be ashamed of that or, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. You're not too much shaming like, going on for men these days. Oh, that's my for sure. gosh. Yeah, exactly. And you're not going to engage men. I mean, listen, I'm a flawed man. I've got my moral failings. I've got my other kinds of failings. But you're not going to engage me by just beating on me. You get a, you get a thousand men in the room and talk to them about their sexual dysfunction, you can get them all crying and all feeling bad, but I'm not sure you're making better men. You know what I mean? And so a, a lot of it for me was to think through, how can I approach a subject in a way that's unique? How can I, how can I go different? I hardly ever shame men. I will talk about flaws and failings, but I don't use shame. I use humor. I use um, a lot of emphasis on community. And if you even just look at the, at the cover of the book that you've mentioned, it's humor, it's fun, it we're laughing, fun. we're playing around, a lot of humor, a lot of joking, you know, and then make it real personal. I mean, if you read the book, you know, I actually say, hey, if you see me in an airport, ask me if I'm working out, ask me if I'm, that's an adventure <laughs> in my life. A <laughs> lot of a my life book. has been in hotel rooms and on stage. So, so ch challenge me. And guys do, guys walk up in airports and places and say, dude, you working out, you getting, you getting some adventure in your life. I mean, I love that. So my point is a lot of that, that you put your finger on there is how, finding a way to express what you have to say and get your message out to the world in a unique way because there's a lot of people who are just echo chambers and that's just boring. It is boring. And, and you know what? It's cool that these folks are asking if you're working out. Now, now that you're thinking about doing the shot put at the World Masters Games, you're going to need to find the American <laughs> shot put champion. I think he might, That's he right, might have medaled too. You're going to have to pay him for a week to train you. <laughs> and then take right. that training routine and find five other guys in, in, your, in your city or wherever you go that want to do shot put. I can, I can tell this is proving to be a very important, a very, very expensive recording for me, by the way, I just want to say. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Okay. Thank you. So – Fourth pillar, the power of leverage, the importance of leverage. Far too many people in our industry just deliver their expertise through one, maximum two modalities. So they might just do one-on-one -on -one coaching, or they might just do some authoring, or they just might just do some speaking. To me, powerful thought leadership is delivered across multiple mediums and in multiple ways. So 
I do some one-on-one coaching and mentoring. I also do group programs. I run masterminds. I do stuff for thought leaders. I've got a program that I do for separated fathers. I mean, having been one myself, I got a program uh, that helps men who in the last three months have had their wives leave them, specifically men that are fathers, get through that pain in uh, weeks or months versus, you know, years, decades, or even never. So, and, and I deliver it in multiple ways. And I think that's leveraging yourself is extremely important, you know, both from an income point of view, but especially from an impact point of view. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think part of the key to that is to have some other people around you who have skills you don't have and see you in a way that you don't see yourself. Uh, right now, for example, I've got some guys uh, who are working with me on taking the message and some videos and some curriculum stuff that we've done and taking it further than I ever could have taken it myself. And so I think part of what goes on is when we talk about the entrepreneur, when we talk about the thought leader, uh, we often think of the individual. But normally, even if it is an individual thrust to, to the fore, there are other people uh, around them. There are people in your life who are actually God-designed, I believe, uh, to play roles in what you do and take things further in social media, take things further in video, create curriculum out of things that you've done, uh, things like that. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you do have to leverage a wide variety of channels but I don't know that any one of us has the ability to do all of that themselves. And of course, wanting to live lives that are nicely margined and proportional and not stress factories and burnout factories, we've got to rely on other people. So for me anyway, a lot of that, a lot of achieving that has been uh, welcoming the right people into my life to take things to a whole new level. Burnout factories. I love that phrase. I'm going to steal that. That's really good. <laughs> well, just just pay royalties now. Come Absolutely, on. brother. I'll always give you attribution. It's really, really no, good. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I don't care. Yeah, but that's that's what that's a lot of what we do, isn't it? A lot of what we do, isn't it? We we create we we try to achieve big things and we create lives that are burnout factories, and we certainly see that going on in the world. A hundred percent. I've done it myself. I was talking to one of my mentors yesterday. Okay, great man. His name's Chad Cooper. He runs a program called Legendary Lifestyles. He's a former Marine. In fact, he was a Regimental Marine of the Year and uh, just an incredible man. We were, ju- we were, we, we were going to do a coaching call on something else, but I started off the call by telling him, hey, you know what? I need a break. And he just sat there and listened to me. He said, yeah, you do. Because when I described my life, I said, even when I'm on, you know, when I supposedly have time off, it's not time off. It's not time for me. I'm always either working in the business or I've got kids, taking care of my kids or uh, with my lady. There's not that time for me to just sit down and think and replenish. And uh, so we created a plan for me to do that. And I'll tell you, that was a load off right there. Good, good. Yeah. Proud of you for doing that, man. Most men don't have the courage to face that kind of stuff. So I'm glad that's great. Appreciate that, man. I really do. I really do. Steven, you and I are going to be good friends. We're going to have to do more than one interview. If you don't mind, I'd like to have you back on the show and delve into some of these topics and other ways. And I'd love to see if we can find ways to collaborate uh, in serving men because that's near and dear to my heart. But let's get back to the last pillar, the fifth pillar. The fifth pillar of thought leadership is the importance of having great mentors and great peer groups. See, I, I, I mean, for me, it's a little bit self-serving to say this because that's part of what we do is we run mentorship programs and, and peer groups and, and masterminds and educational programs to help people really develop their thought leadership and get it out there and make the dent that they were born to make in the universe, to borrow a phrase from the late, great Steve Jobs. But it's also true. 
you know, um, Robin Sharma, the author of uh, the book, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, uh, said in a high-level mastermind I once attended, that if, if you're looking to double your income and your impact, you need to triple your investment in coaches and personal and professional development. Uh, what are your comments on that? Yeah, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Again, this really comes back to the principle we were talking about earlier when it comes to men. I don't mean to make everything about that, but but you have to be intentional. Mentors don't tend to happen naturally. They'll happen a bit in the military, a bit in university, a bit in, in some corporate structures. But for the most part, you've got to pursue it. And I think mm. that a lot of guys have the idea of mentors that it's like uh, you know a bunch of guys sitting in togas under a tree, you know, <laughs> and 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 one one yoga t- Yoda type dude, you know, spouting truth. But but I, I believe in modular mentoring, and it's kind of what you're doing. You know, you've got a certain area of a guy's life, and you're creating programs and uh, structures where he can be mentored in that area. Um, and that's what I've done. I've gone to people who are writers. I've gone to people who are speakers. I've gone to people who had better marriages. I've gone to people who, you know, were big guys who knew how to dress right or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. And I've asked asked them for help. And sometimes it's 30 minutes. Sometimes it's one phone call. Sometimes it's a year, you know, of regular hamburger fest, you know, where he's teaching me or something. And I've done the same for others. And I think that's how you, that's how you improve. The, the main lesson is that you can't do it on your own. If you're going to achieve, it's going to have to involve other people and frankly, older and more experienced people. And thank God we've got YouTube. Thank God we've got these other things, but somebody has got to see you, know you and speak into your life specifically uh, in the arena that you're needing help so that you can achieve your best. Brilliantly said, my friend. Brilliantly said. You know, I come back to Jordan Peterson. The whole Jordan Peterson phenomenon fascinates me because he, he, he's, a, he's a brilliant thinker and he's a, he's a very clear, precise, and articulate speaker. But he's nobody's idea of the world's most charismatic man. Yeah. And yet look at his following. It's incredible. He has tens of millions of followers around the world. His book, which is a thick tome, you know, it's it, 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 it's it's written, I think, primarily for a general audience, but with some academic overtones to it, right? It's not an easy read. No. He's selling millions of copies in 2018. Well, How's an egghead professor doing that? Well, it, to me, that's the desperation of our generation for mentors and for leaders. Exactly. I mean, I mean, I don't mean to be arrogant. You know, I've written some books myself, but I, but I, I every so often I'll pick up a major book, a big seller, huge, and I'll read it. And it's it's not that I've, I'm competitive or I, I think well I'm better than this guy. I look at the content and I go, Lord have mercy, that that level of truth was communicated in the shower after a football game when I was 17. You know, I mean, there's not that much there there. But then I think, well, think, Stephen, about a, a bunch of guys or a bunch of people who haven't been mentored, who have never had anybody coach them, who have never addressed these themes. And suddenly you realize why millions of people would be paying attention. So yeah. You're um, not the audience I, I, for that book. It's the yeah. people that you're trying to reach. They're the audience for that book and exactly. for his videos and everything else. He's doing the world a service as far as I'm concerned. No, no question. But it shows you how hungry people are for that kind of thing. People think, are very hungry they, for that. And, and Exactly. And I love your books. They're they're powerful. Uh, the two that I've read so far, the one and a half, I'm halfway through your Churchill book right now. I read your, your first book, the first book of yours that I read, actually, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, in a day and a half. And it's not a short book. It's almost 300 no. pages, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the reason I was able to read it in a day and a half is because you express complex concepts in a, in a simple, uh, powerful, and engaging manner. And that's, I think, part of your gift. You're able to take complex concepts and present them to people in a way that gets them to want to listen. So kudos to you for doing that. Well, thank you. You're welcome. So, Stephen, we like to end off each episode by asking you, our expert guest, for your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on in his or her life so that they can take their thought leadership, their impact, and their income to the next level. What say you? Reduce your busyness by about 10 to 20%. Mm. Find mentors that are connected to your main life goals, the realistic ones, the things you're really going to accomplish, and rest more. Rest more. I know that's, that sounds redundant with the first one, but you can, you can reduce your busyness but not rest. Rest more. Uh, we, we're learning a lot about the brain. We're learning a lot about creativity. Uh, we're learning a lot about the energy that comes and the redirection of our souls when we rest. So get mentors, reduce the busyness, the, the hyperactivity, rest more. Those are the three things that have made the most massive difference for me and most of the people I know. Brilliantly said. I love those three. And you stated them so succinctly. You know, you said earlier in our interview, it's important for people not to do things alone. I've, I've got this hashtag I created on social media that goes like this. Hashtag don't do 2018 alone. If you do 2018 alone, your impact on the world and the amount of income that you make is likely to be limited. But if you do it with great mentors and if you're part of a, a great peer group, a community of people that like you is looking forward uh, in a direction that includes wanting to make a difference in the world, you're gonna be very happy and you're gonna achieve the goals and the results that you wanna achieve. That's absolutely right. So Stephen, I, I love your book. And I just wanna say to you, if you're listening to this podcast, um, run to the nearest bookstore or run to your computer or mobile device and go to Amazon and buy Mansfield's book of manly men and frankly buy his entire list of books. This man is a brilliant writer and a brilliant thinker. And if you're a man or if you're a woman and you have men in your life and you care about them, buy 10 copies of the book and Give a copy to everyone that you care about in your life because this book could very well save their life. If all they do is they take on Mansfield's four manly maxims and they take on having a band of brothers in their life, their life is never going to be the same. They're going to thank you so much for that. So make sure that you not only pick up a copy of this book for yourself, but you buy at least 10 and give it away to people. Heck, I'm going to make a commitment to you right now, Stephen. I'm going to buy 30 copies of this book. I'm going to give it to a bunch of my clients and a bunch of other men that I know. Uh, how kind you are. Thank you so much. That'll be wonderful. Absolutely. And you've got a book specifically on the Band of Brothers. Do you want to tell folks about that? Yeah. I, I, when I had written Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, I realized that I, I wanted to have a separate, small, what I call a movement book, an expensive uh, paperback that would really be a manual for building the band of brothers that's necessary. It's called, the book is actually called Building Your Band of Brothers. Uh, and you can get it on Great Man. The, my, my, the website I have for, for men is called greatman.tv. You can go on there, you can order it. It's also available on Amazon. It's available in paper. We can work with people on bulk prices, but I, th I, I think it's you know eight or $10. It's real, real inexpensive. Uh, but building your band of brothers is what you want. 
I think that's an important book for men all over to get. And, you know, I'm part of a men's organization uh, and uh, this organization practices that. But I think to have a book like this that shows them how to do it right as a manual would be very valuable and very powerful. So I'm going to pick up a bunch of copies of that book as well and recommend that, again, if you're a man or if if you're a woman who has men in your life that you care about, that you pick up a number of copies of this book and make sure that you give it to the people that you care about. Stephen, I got to tell you, it's been fun interviewing you. And listener, if you're listening to this interview and you're wondering to yourself, do I have something in me that could make an impact on the world the way Stephen is making an impact on the world with his message? Do I have world-class intellectual property that I can develop and put out there? Do I have something that there's going to be a marketplace for out there? I'm going to make you an offer, and I'm also going to challenge you. Get on the phone with myself or a member of my team. All you got to do to do that is go to eastcircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. We will book a, a, a trial call with you where we'll go through with you exactly what your intellectual property is or potentially could be and what it could be worth in the marketplace, both in terms of the impact you can make as well as in terms of the income that you can earn for yourself. Make sure that you go to eastercoltacademy.com forward slash appointment and book your trial call right now. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real honor having you. And, you know, I look forward to having you back. And heck, if there's an opportunity to be on uh, any of your podcasts or or work with you to help promote your events or even potentially do a, a retreat or something like that together, I'd really welcome that. Well, it's been great. Thank you so much. And and thanks for taking over half my life for training for a track and field event, man. I'm telling you. You're, just... <laughs> You're welcome. Right, I'm sure your you, wife's going to be really happy with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And that wraps up another episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, Stephen Mansfield, and to find out how you can buy his books and find out about his events and programs and retreats, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. And again, if you want to jump on a call, a trial call with us to help figure out the power of your intellectual property and what it could be worth in terms of impact and income in the marketplace, go to the show notes. Jump on that link that we told you about earlier and book that call. Until next time, goodbye.